0: It's almost time that we're going to have to be soldiers and conquerors, folks. The deep state, as we talked about this morning on Bloodlines, is coming after us. They want to control our DNA and rule us with the Internet of Things. Okay, so that being the subject matter of this morning on Bloodlines, and that show is up on the, the download section of the website, And please share that with everybody you can. And uh, today I'm going to do a follow-up. I texted Pastor Martins via Skype. And he's around, but I don't know whether his network is strong enough for him to do a show. And it's a hit and miss in South Africa these days because of the total corruption there. It's funny because the, the regime... In the ANC, uh, African National Communists, are n- nothing but figurines <laughs> being pushed around by the banksters to do what uh, they want them to do. The black government of South Africa is so incompetent that they can't trust them to do anything. So, But that, they're not asked to do anything. They're just asked asked to stand there and look official. Look authoritarian, authoritarian, authoritative, officious. Look like you do know what you're doing. <laughs> just just pretend that you know what you're doing, and we'll supply you with all the money you need to not do anything, right? That's, that's how it works in the world today, okay? But I just put the link in the chat room of what the subject is going to be for today's Voice of Christian Israel. And this is really a gem, an absolute gem of a document, and I don't know if I'm going to do it, certainly won't be able to do the whole thing today, but it's certainly worthy of a study, and so you've got the link there, and I encourage everybody to copy that link, you can open it up and save it, and uh, distribute it to your friends as well. It's on the Internet Archive, full text of Ashkenazi Jews of Khazaria, a history by Galen Ross Freeman. And this is, I've got to start with part one, although, although there's a subtitle here, Gog, Magog, and the Kingdom of the Khazars. Okay, that's what we've been teaching here at Eurofolk Radio for all these years, that the Ashkenazi Jews are Gog and Magog. And the Judeo-Christian world actually thinks it's Russia. No, it's Gog and Magog. Aren't they reclaiming Ukraine for themselves as we speak? Aren't they trying to foment World War III as a distraction for their world empire? The Jews of the Judean state, uh, Kaikistan, I refuse to call it Israel, they're not going to be invaded from the North from Russia. that's never going to happen. There's too much economic coercion of Russia by the international bankers for Putin to do much. He really can't do much in his situation. The only thing I see happening, Allah, uh, the uh, you know the prophecies of the Old Testament, especially the book of Obadiah, which says that at one, one day, Edom, Edom, all of your co-conspirators will turn against you. That's what the book of Obadiah says. And right now, the international Jew is riding that Arkansas razorback. <laughs> they, they better have a, A strong pair of dungarees on because once those dungarees wear out and that tough skin of the razorback starts cutting through the dungarees into their Jewish hides, there's going to be some bloodletting going on, folks. A lot of bloodletting. It's going to be messy. It's going to be dangerous. And... uh, uh, yeah, we're going to watch them roll down the hill, Mr. Kim Smith. They're going to be watching them roll down the hill and uh, slipping and sliding on their own blood. Because as high on the hog as they are right now, they don't want to believe or fail to perceive that all of their allies hate their guts. Absolutely hate their Because nobody wants to be a slave, even if you're a president of a country or a corporation like Macron or like uh, Justin Trudeau. Maybe Biden likes being a slave. I don't think he's even aware that he is a slave. (laughs) He definitely is a co-conspirator. But all of these co-conspirators who don't, who have honor, precious little of that among these people, but they still don't like being a slave, They still don't like somebody bossing them around, which is what the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers do to them all the day long. And then you can can imagine Justin Trudeau, man, what does Rothschild want with me now? (laughs) He won't leave me alone. He wants me to dance. He wants me to give another speech. He wants me to act officious. Like I'm, act, I'm an actual prime minister of a country, right? Uh, please relieve me of this burden. I don't like being a slave. Well, you are a slave. It doesn't matter how rich you are; you're a slave to the money changers, and that's what you are, and you know it. And you can see it in his face. Oh man, I have to make another speech and pretend to, <laughs> that I'm a prime minister. And they're telling me what to say. I can't say what I want to say. I have to say what they want me to say. Can you imagine being living a life like that? Okay, well, you got all the money in the world. You got people at your beck and call, but you're still nothing but a puppet. You are the, uh, the what, in the Arab world. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's, let's put it this way. You're a black slave, and whatever... Uh, Rothschild says, "You say yes, ah, yes, sir. yes, sir. Yeah, uh, you, you tell me what to do, I'll do it. Okay, that's the position that all of these heads of states, all of these heads of corporations are in, unless, of course, they're really deep state and they're part of the in crowd of global Zionist Jewry. You know, but even there, they are their lives center around maintaining." their hegemony of deceit and false information. And they've got to be really getting concerned because we, the the people are waking up to their game. And the more we wake up to their game, the more uneasy they get, the more mistakes they make and the more wars they stage that are going to fail for them. Okay. So as we were talking about this morning, the, uh, By raising the interest rates, they're putting the squeeze on the consumer and making life tougher and tougher. And the more people who get squeezed, the more they become information, true information addicts. They want real, they want truth, they want the right information. Eventually, they'll come around to your folk radio and they'll learn the truth. So we just have to keep broadcasting the truth, and those people will eventually find us. And they will learn the truth, and they will realize who their slave master is. So let's find out who that slave master is by getting into this document. Prologue. Quote, Son of Man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him, Ezekiel 38.2. Now, those of us who are Jew-savvy understand that Meshech is Moscow, Tubal is Tobolsk, and those are the territories of Kazaria, And that is where the Bolsheviks, that is the Khazars, the Khazar Jews, who stole Russia from the Russian people and turned it into one gigantic slaughterhouse with Bolshevik Jews slaughtering Russian Christians, and of course not just Russia, but the entire Soviet Union, which was simply handed over to Stalin at the end of World War II by Churchill and FDR, Stalin could not have made war against the West without Lend-Lease from FDR. They didn't have any money. They really had very little industrial capacity. It was made possible by the Jews of the West. Okay? All wars are Jewish wars, or as Werner Sambart said, war is the Jews' harvest and revolutions are also wars, folks. Introduction. Hold on, I have to scroll down too far. Quote, A thousand years before the establishment of the modern state of Israel, there existed a Jewish kingdom in the eastern fringes of Europe, astride the Don and Volga rivers. Unquote. So begins a thesis by Jewish author, Kevin Allen Brook. The kingdom of which he speaks appears at first consideration to be comprised of nearly as much disinformation, misinformation, mythological information, and curiously, no information. (laughs) Yeah, they've been trying to hide the Jews, 95% of whom are Ashkenazi Khazars, their true origin, because they're pretending to be Israel of the Bible. And so they have been very, very busy burning books that reveal the Ashkenazi connection to modern Jewry and buying up encyclopedias and removing articles that contain this type of information so that the general public cannot be aware of it. That's why Christians are so dumb these days. That's why liberals are so dumb these days. And that's why the general public is so dumbed down these days, okay, because this information has to be suppressed. And anybody who exposes this type of information, such as yours truly, such as free tough person, those of us in identity, must be silenced one way or another. Right now, in the state of Florida, there is an attempt by the ADL to... Persecute those who criticize the Jews. To ban the flyers depicting Jews as banksters, Ashkenazim, Synagogue of Satan, etc. Why? Well, the Jews are afraid that this type of flyering will expose them and wake people up. So they have no choice but to violate our First Amendment rights And try to prevent people from distributing such flyers. Even though it is... (laughs) Yes, Amasa. Yes, Amasa. Yeah, right. Our people are slaves and they don't know it. Well, that's why we're here, to inform them of how they have been enslaved. Anyway, so what's going on in Florida will be a test case of whether other states follow suit and allow this type of suppression of our First Amendment's right, Amendment rights to be instituted. Okay? So, well, we'll see about that. We'll see about that. We'll see how that... We're going to be, keep our eye on Florida and see how that goes, okay? Because, man, if Governor DeSantis is worth a hoot. And I have my doubts that he's worth a hoot. Such, such legal prestidigitation will not be allowed, if, if it comes to be a bill before him to sign, it will tell us a lot. Whether he's a slave, one of those puppets dancing to the Jewish tune, or whether he is a believer in the U.S. Constitution. Maybe all of his pro-Constitution rhetoric up to this point in time has been nothing but grandstanding for a potential run at the presidency. All you puppets get in line. <laughs> Can you? Whenever we see these candidates getting in line for their debates, it's just puppets dancing to the invisible strings of the Zionist tune. The fiddler on the roof. There we go, folks. The fiddler above the stage. Yeah, so let's see. Okay. Yet, upon closer scrutiny. Oh, wait a minute. Let me just, yeah. Uh, Clears, curiously, no information. No information about this. That, but there is a lot of information that this is provable historical fact. Upon closer scrutiny, this kingdom, known as Khazaria, or the kingdom of the Khazars, is clearly revealed in a vast body of historical evidence, much of which has come come down to us in the last three to five decades. Several words missing here. This mysterious kingdom, which has sculpted our modern world, that's correct, it has sculpted our modern world, because the Rothschilds are in fact Ashkenazi Jews, to an astounding and alarming degree, I can't believe this author is actually Jewish, once occupied an immense land area of over a million square miles extending from western Hungary slash Austria, eastward to the Oral Sea, north to the upper Volga, and its southern region extending to the Caucasus Mountains between the Black and Caspian Seas. It was at that time, literally, the largest country on earth. It has only been in the last several decades, however, that greater documented evidence from ancient manuscripts has come to light. The Jews can only suppress so much, and they can't suppress this information from every language, because there's a lot of Arabian literature that has come to light in recent years, so the Jews don't control everything. They have clamped down on the English literature, but there's all kinds of other languages that has records like these, and they haven't been able to suppress it all. And I would say, venture, dare to say, that in the Eastern Orthodox world, there is way more literature that has not been suppressed. It's just a matter of whether those Orthodox Christians have the guts, the nerve, the temerity to make it public. And the same is true of the Vatican. The Vatican has literature along these lines as well. But we know that the Vatican was taken over by world Jewry in 1963 at Vatican II. The Roman Catholic Church is run by Jews, folks. It's not run by Catholics. So let's continue. Upper Vol- it was at that time literally the largest country on earth... It has only been in the last several decades, however, that greater documented evidence from ancient manuscripts has come to light and revealed the astonishing historical truth of this ancient kingdom and its connection to the origins of modern-day Israel. Though little known to the West, and for that matter to even those currently occupying its ancestral land, the Khazar Kingdom has been responsible for substantially shaping the history and political landscape of Europe and specifically Western Asia, but also to a remarkable degree the entirety of human events on this planet. Let me see if I can get a date for this document. Uh, I don't see any dates here. I'd I'd be curious as to when this book was written. But, So far, this information is 100% accurate, even though it is written by a Jew. Will wonders never cease. Well, there are such Jews who are remonstrant Jews. There are even Jews who don't like to be slaves. Okay? Oh, please, Massa, please, Massa, don't make me dance. So... Arthur Kessler, author of The Thirteenth Tribe, easily the most expansive single work on the subject, states, The story of the Khazar Empire, as it slowly emerges from the past, begins to look like the most cruel hoax which history has ever perpetrated. Well, actually, it's only the third most cruel hoax. The Holocaust is the second most cruel hoax. And the charade as Israel, the the great impersonation of Israel by the Jews, is the most cruel hoax. And it makes these other two hoaxes possible. Continuing. This is the story of a kingdom of belligerent, warlike, Caucasians. No, they're not Caucasian nomads. They occupied the Caucasus but they're not a race by race, Caucasians. Having no linked ancestry with anything Israelite, that is correct, this side of Noah, (laughs) or the other side of Noah either, yet adopting Talmudic Judaism, and becoming the dominant and virtually only current force in the 21st century international Jewry. There are minuscule movements within Jewry that are opposed to zionism but they are so small they're you know a drop in the proverbial bucket detzri karta is one of them and there's another movement within the israel state itself there are such radically racist jews that they they are embarrassment to israel itself they have a, a society of their own and they're doing nothing but making trouble for the current Israeli state. Continuing. During the course of this work, salient facts and issues will be presented without a too extensive reliance on tedious historical documentation. However, considering the delicacy of the subject, especially in this modern age where any divergence from certain agendas for political correctness can result in epithets of racism and anti-Semitism, yeah, he's a Jewish anti-Semite, right? And for the obvious sake of accuracy, reasonably comprehensive documentation is necessary. In this, it will be shown that the cry of quote-unquote anti-Semitism hurled against those who do oppose the international actions of ones calling themselves Jews would be much like an immigrated Scotsman to America deciding to live on an Apache Indian reservation coming to dominate its politics and economics and then claiming that anyone disagreeing with his political and social agenda is racist and anti-Apache in their beliefs. Well said. What under different circumstances could prove to be a dry treatise on Eastern European Jewish history is, if closely examined, actually a narrative of events that have laid a sequential pathway to and beyond the destruction of the New York World Trade Center on September 11, 2001 by, of course, Ashkenazi Jews. This historical timeline has been fixed in its present course, which by all appearances and in a most unexpected manner is culminating in the fulfillment of the biblical prophecies of Armageddon. Wow! Did I write this? (laughs) This is fantastic. But then, it has always been so with prophecy. The most consistent aspect in the nature of prophetic fulfillment is that it is consistently surprising. God has invariably worked to complete his desires prophetically in ways that have not been understood until revealed in retrospect in the light of their actual happening. Well, we in Christian identity have foreseen these events. Dr. Wesley Smith, Bertrand Combré, Henry Ford, and many, many others have foreseen the eventual rise of the deep state, the international Jew, and all the evil deeds that they will perpetrate among us. These have been foreseen by those of us in Christian identity. The rest of the world is still largely in the dark. But if COVID doesn't kill them, it will wake them up. Or as Nietzsche said, what does not kill me makes me stronger. Uh, Hopefully it will make people wiser too. Next heading here, an historical perspective. Shortly after the death of Muhammad in A.D. 632, according to Columbia University professor D.M. Dunlop, Arab armies began a campaign northward, sweeping, quote, through the wreckage of two empires and carrying all before them till they reached the great mountain barrier of the Caucasus. This barrier once passed, Dunlop observes, the road, the road lay open to the lands of Eastern Europe. Had the caliphate, the armies of the Muslim caliph, surmounted that immense geological deterrent unchallenged, the history of Europe, and indeed the rest of the Judeo-Christian world, would have been vastly different than it is now. Yeah, Christianity would not have become Judeo-Christianity. And, of course, we know that the path of Israel, which was the path that the Israelites took in 745 B.C. to cross from Armenia into southern Europe, was the path by which the Israelites became known as the Caucasian people. But our people were actually driven west by the Mongol hordes, Okay? That invaded what became Khazaria, and those Mongols interbred with the local Japhethites and with the Hittite rabbis. Remember, Esau married two Hittite women, and those Hittite Jewish Edomite rabbis went up to Khazaria and taught them Judaism and intermarried with them. Let's continue. It was at the Caucasus, however, that the Arabs encountered the Khazars, initiating a war that lasted over a century and effectively prevented Europe from becoming Islamic. But it did not prevent Europe from becoming Jewish. So powerful socially and militarily were the Khazars that as Kevin Allen Brook relates in his work, the Jews of Khazaria, quote, a 10th century emperor of the Byzantine's that is, the Roman Empire, the Eastern Roman Empire, Constantine Porphyrogenitus sent correspondence to the Khazars marked with a gold seal worth three solidi, more than the two solidi that always accompanied letters to the Pope of Rome, the Prince of the Rus and the Prince of the Hungarians. And I believe the Hungarians were already Christian and the Rus were becoming Christian, if not already. So we see that there was this conflict between Christianity, Islam, and Judaism at this time. Let's continue. Okay, I think I may be wrong. The author is probably not a Jew, but he quotes a couple of Jews here. So let me see if I get this. Who is the actual author Of this work, okay. I guess the actual author is—it's in the title above the main article here. Galen Ross Freeman is his name, okay. So, and he refers to this Jew and a couple other Jews, right? He refers to the Jew Kevin Allen Brook and Arthur Kessler, but uh, the author himself sounds like he's an identian. Sounds he's got a lot of familiarity with our point of view here. So let's continue. Rutgers University professor Peter Golden, that's a common Jewish name as well, <laughs> referred to by Brooke as, quote, one of the principal authorities on the Khazars, unquote, well, the Jews ought to know, right, wrote, quote, Every schoolchild in the West has been told that if not for Charles Martel and the Battle of Poitiers, there might be a mosque where Notre Dame... Well, there is a mosque where Notre Dame stands. (laughs) Haven't you noticed? What few schoolchildren are aware of, Golden emphasizes, is that if not for the Khazars, Eastern Europe might well have become a province of Islam. Now, Europe is a province of Khazaria. The Khazarian mounted forces, with a soldiery of mainly Turkic and pagan origin, could at times, and Mongol, don't don't forget the Mongols, could at times and when accounted for, but even the Jews don't want you to know about the Mongol blood they have. They were also probably the most disciplined as well as tactically and strategically the most potent, martial power at that time and in that region. Evidence that they were supremely calculating in their approach to international matters lay in the fact that, in contrast to their brutality, Khazar officials were often consulted as diplomatic emissaries and mediators by all the political powers surrounding Khazaria. Well, it's because they had lots of money. They were actually the trolls otherwise known as the toll masters of the bridges going along the Silk Road from China to Europe. And if you didn't pay that toll to cross the bridge controlled by the Khazars, you were robbed and or killed. So you better pay your taxes, folks, because one way or another you're going to be robbed. And if you don't pay your taxes, you will be killed as well. So, of course, in order to benefit from this trade between East and West, the Khazars had to be careful not to kill everybody so they could collect their money without having to work. All they had to do was, okay, you can cross the river now. (laughs) Right? You can cross the bridge. See you on your way back. The Khazars and their empire were at that time both highly respected and greatly feared with good reason. At the peak of their empire, it is believed that the Khazars had a permanent standing army that could have numbered as many as 100,000 and controlled or exacted tribute, astonishingly, from 30 different nations and tribes inhabiting the vast territories between the Caucasus, the Aral Sea, the Ural Mountains, and the Ukrainian steppes. I'm surprised that the author doesn't even mention the Silk Road. And the trolls, who were in fact Khazars, but of course they don't—they don't want to reveal too much. <laughs> right? Okay, they, they just want to reveal the good side of the Khazars. At the peak of their empire, yes, they could exact tribute from thirty different nations. Okay, and of course, the Rus got tired of having to pay. Troll tolls. During their zenith, which is their apex, their high point, Khazaria completely girded the lands of what are currently Ostrakom, Kalmykia, or Kalmykia, Dagestan, Volgograd, Rostov, in Gushitia, kabardino balkarsk North Ossetia, and Chechnya. Quote, at its maximum extent in the ninth century, says Brooke. Quote, Kazaria not only encompassed the northern Caucasus and the Volga Delta, but also extended as far west as Kiev. Ukraine, folks. Ukraine. That is the home of the Jews, even today. That's why they're killing all the Ukrainians to make room for the Jews that might have to escape from Israel, Kyrgyzstan, should the need arise. Continuing. Oh, by the way, there are any Jews dying in that war. It's only white people and it's white victims of Jewish wars who are volunteering to fight for Ukraine getting shot in the back and having their their organs harvested by these same Jews and sold on the international market for millions of dollars. That's what's going to happen to you if you volunteer to fight for Ukraine in this war, folks. You better inform your sons that that's what will happen to them if they volunteer to fight for Ukraine in this war. And we have a couple of videos up on that subject on the front page of Eurofolk Radio, organ harvesting in Ukraine. You better become aware of that and inform any potential would-be soldier of fortune who wants to fight for freedom in Ukraine. Not going to happen, folks. That person will be a victim, one way or another. So, we're here to warn you. You'd better take our warning seriously. Okay, Soviet archaeologist M.I. Artemanov states that for a century and a half, the Khazars were the supreme masters of the southern half of Eastern Europe, and presented a virtually impenetrable bulwark, blocking the Ural-Caspian gateway from Asia into Europe. During that entire period, they held back the onslaught of the nomadic tribes from the east. Okay, but However, the steppes of Central Asia and Western, you know, Eastern Europe and Western Asia were flatlands, which were also controlled by them. And that that made it easy, and that's where the Silk Road went. Until recently, a great part of the problem with the historical obscurity of ancient Khazaria lay with the fact that the geographical area of the country was part of the Soviet Union, or Jews, which insisted on interpreting archaeological data within the framework of Marxist historical materialism. This Iron Curtain version of historical revisionism caused the Soviets to interpret that data in such a way as to present as fact that which was well-fabricated, but wrong. Okay? That's Jews rewriting history for us. This peculiar and obscure race inhabiting that land, in other words, it's the Khazars obscuring their own history for us, were described as blue-eyed and a very fair... Well, there were blue-eyed Khazars because many of them were Japhethites. The Khazars are a combination of Japheth, Mongol, and Hittite. Commonly, they had long reddish hair and were reported as very large of stature and fierce of countenance. Other sources have added observations that there were black Khazars, and white Khazars. Noting that the latter were light-skinned and handsome, while the former were dark-skinned. This has, however, been rather conclusively refuted by scholars who have established that the distinction was not racial but social. It could have been racial too, because the Mongols were clearly darker than the Japhethites, and the Hittites were darker than the Japhethites. The black or kara Khazars constituted the lower strata or caste, while the white or ak Khazars were of the noble or royal classes. And this is true throughout all history, where the white people tended to dominate the darker people until the white people began to mi- or merge, <laughs> amalgamate with the darker people, and lost their ability to rule. This type of class distinction was fairly common in Eastern Europe and all over the world, as evidenced by the more commonly known terms Black Russian and White Russian, denoting not skin color but class, but it also denotes a little bit of skin color too. In his book, An Introduction to the History of the Turkic Peoples, Peter Golden claims that the Chinese tea and shoe chronicle describes the Khazars generally as, quote, Tall, with red hair, ruddy faced and blue-eyed. Black hair is considered a bad omen. Okay, well, how many Jews, how many Khazars fit that description anymore? Very, very few. Very, very few. Next heading here. The Khazars of Conquest and War. Of the ferocity and warlike tendencies of the Khazars, there is little doubt and much historical evidence, all of it pointing to a race of people so violent in their dealings with their fellow men that, well, they weren't their fellow men, (laughs) they weren't Khazars, right? That they were feared and abhorred above all peoples in that region of the world. The Arab chronicler Ibn Sa'id al-Maghribi writes, quote, they are to the north of the inhabited earth toward the seventh climb, having over their heads the constellation of the plow. Well, weren't they to the north of physical Israel as well? When the books prophesying that our people Israel will be invaded from the north by these same Khazars, Their land is cold and wet, according to their complexions are white, their eyes blue, their hair flowing and predominantly reddish, their bodies large and their natures cold, yeah, brutal. Their general aspect is wild. The ninth century monk Drutmar of Aquitaine in his commentary on Matthew twenty four fourteen in Expositio in Mateum Evangelistum, stated that the Ghazari or Khazars, dwelt, in the lands of Gog and Magog. Legends and stories abound, some of which are true according to the above-quoted Aquitaine monk, that center around Alexander the Great and his attempt to enclose the Khazars and quarantined them. Due to their violent and barbaric nature from the rest of the civilized world, this endeavor apparently failed. Drusmar claimed, and they escaped. Some legends even claim they were cannibals. After the kingdom's conversion to Judaism, the term Red Jews came into usage out of the superstition of medieval Germans who equated their red hair and beards and their violent nature with deceit and dishonesty. How about Esau? How about equating them with Esau? It is also well documented that they heavily taxed those passing through their lands for none dared refuse them. Those are the trolls. You know, the, those ugly little trolls with hair, hairy faces, Right? that exacted tribute along the Silk Road, going through their territory. According to Benjamin H. Friedman, himself a Jew and an apparent long-time associate and confidant of presidents and statesmen and high-ranking Jews as well, in an address presented in 1961 at the Willard Hotel in Washington, D.C., the Khazars were so belligerent and hostile that they were eventually run out of Asia and scattered amongst the nations of Eastern Europe. And that's how they became known as Khazar Jews. Heinrich von Neustadt, around 1300, wrote of them as the, quote, terrifying people of Gog and Magog, unquote. Now do you understand why the history of Khazaria has been suppressed? Because the Judeo-Christians must be told that Russia is Gog and Magog instead of the Khazars. Excuse me while I take a sip. Good tea this morning. The territory of the Bulgars, themselves legendary for their fierceness in battle, was conquered by the Khazars in A.D. 642. A portion of them fled westward to the region of the Danube and the Balkans and formed what is now modern-day Bulgaria. Even in modern times, Muslim history calls the Khazar raids and the terror of those inhabiting that land. To this day, they call the Caspian Bar-ul-Khazar, the Khazar Sea. It is not difficult to determine some of the motivating factors behind the legendary Khazar ferocity in war. Quote, when the Bek, the Khazar head of the military, and second in command only to the Khagan himself, Khagan, Kain, Kahan Kain, sends out a body of troops. They do not in any circumstances retreat. If they are defeated, everyone who returns to him is killed. Sometimes he cuts every one of them in two and crucifies them and sometimes hangs them by the neck from trees. Isn't that what Stalin and the Bolsheviks did to their soldiers, too? If they refused to fight for the Soviet Union, they were just shot in the back. Logically, or if they turned around and ran, they'd be shot in the front. Logically, it seems that this would not likely happen more than once. (laughs) Since reason would reveal to even the dullest soldier that their defeat was not an option. Such a practice would also have provided a strong impetus to the legend of Khazar fierceness, since, when faced with the choice of winning in battle or facing a worse death at home, which was the same true of those fighting for the Soviet Union, they had the same option. The options and the rational responses to them become painfully distinct either fight or die. All of these facts mingled with the semi-factual legends of Alexander the Great and his attempts to wall up the Red Jews and isolate them. They well, they certainly weren't known as Khazars in 300 B.C. They had to be known by another name. Maybe they were known, but uh, uh, as a, they were probably more associated with the Mongols who invaded that territory. I don't see Alexander the Great fighting against Khazars. Uh, That's that's probably misinformation from that monk. He probably misunderstands history. Anyway, so let's continue here. Let me start this sentence all over. All of these facts mingled with the semi-factual legends of Alexander the Great and his attempts to wall up the Red Jews and isolate them has led to the numerous mythologies of the coming escape at the end of time of Gog and Magog from the area enclosed by the Caucasus Mountains. This, as the legends say, in order to fulfill biblical prophecy in the final destruction of the world. Indeed, even Islam has such legends in its mythology. And from our perspective, Khazaria has invaded Jerusalem, (laughs) the literal city of Jerusalem. But we are Israel, not the Jews, and they have invaded Jerusalem wherever we are. In Europe, America, Australia, Canada, South Africa, these Khazar Jews, through their banks, through their East India Company, through their West India Company, etc., etc., have invaded true Israel all over the world. Okay. Yeah, Jen, there's all kinds of confusion about who is who. But all we have to know, you're yeah, insane in the Ukraine, thank you, Brother Heber. All you have to know, who's Jew and who's not Jew? Who's Khazar will tell you who is Jew? That's all you need to know. The Khazars and the Sephardic's And the Sephardics only make about 5% of world Jewry today. If you could distinguish the Khazars from the people around them, and these days it's not that hard because the Khazars rule over the people around them, just as they did in those days, the heyday in Khazaria. But they do so by deceit and banking. And they hire armies, proxy armies, to keep their hegemony. Complete. Okay, yeah, and there are a few Jews today who have white, somewhat white skin, and muddy blue eyes, right? And reddish hair. And maybe one in a million has blonde hair. You know, maybe that those white genes from Japheth shining through, and from intermarriage because they have been intermarrying with the white race, at least in the last hundred years or so. Okay, and the, in Europe, the campaign of Jewry has been to destroy the white race through intermarriage, not just with Jews, but with other races, you know, the Kuhnhof-Kalergi plan. So that this has been happening now, but not for even a 100 years, because white people, up until very recently, I would say, not until the 1960s, has racial integration been the, the fad in America and Europe? So it's only been a fad for the last 60 years or so. That's bad enough. That's with the advent of televangelism and the Jewish campaign of racial integration. That was not, because I remember growing up in Chicago, You never saw a white woman with a black man or vice versa. You didn't even see a white person with an Asian. There was no interracial dating. It was unheard of. Until television made it acceptable. What was that movie? Uh, Guess what's coming for dinner? (laughs) Sydney Poitier is coming over for dinner. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Well, it's interesting uh, because the the people in the chat room are asking, is it possible for darker-skinned people to be pro-white? Yes, it is. Well, because once they understand that the Jew is their slave master and that the only way they can defeat their race is by destroying the white race, they become our allies. That doesn't mean we intermarry with them. But there's no reason to hate them. They can be our allies right where they're at and fight the Jew right where they're at on our behalf. It is in their interest to do so. Okay. And it's, yeah, Jen says, it's possible for the papers. Captain Kirk kisses Uhuru. Oh, no. Was there actually such a scene in Star Trek? If, if there was, I missed it. Okay. But, yes, it's possible for some white genes to survive in racially mixed people and for, well, even albinos. I've, I've seen black albinos, but usually they have patch skin. They have patches of white. They're not 100% white like Johnny and Edgar Winter, right? 1868, really? There was such a scene? Oh, my God. Anyway, well, yeah, like I said, television. It was unheard of before television and before. When was that movie made? Guess guess what's coming for dinner? (laughs) When was that movie made? So, folks, it's time to be racially fixed. Israel, true Israel, was told not to integrate. Not to integrate. It's all over the Bible. We are supposed to remain perfect and pure as the literal descendants of Adam, son of Adam. The genealogies are clearly stated in the Bible. The commandments against racial integration are all over the place. You can start with Deuteronomy chapter 7 and just read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah where they're clearly spelled out. Yes, Deuteronomy twenty-three two. There shall not be a mongrel. Enter the the kingdom of Israel. No mongrels. That is a badly translated verse. It says, there shall not be a bastard. Enter the kingdom of Yahweh. But that word, the Hebrew word is mamzer. M-A-M-Z-E-R. It has a one word definition, which is mongrel. Read it and weep, all you Judeo-Christians, okay? Yeah, we don't want our future generations to be mongrelized. Yeah, well, and they won't be, you know, because we are, our people are waking up. It's happening in the colleges, but the colleges are dying. It's happening in the churches, but the churches are dying. It's happening on television, but television no longer attracts anybody's attention anymore. It's all fake news, Right? People are waking up. And that's a good thing. So a couple more. uh, A couple more uh, sentences here from this article. That This is a very, very good article. Please share it with everybody. Okay. Because the history of the Khazars must be made known to all the world. Before you can understand modern history. Okay. So. Where did I leave off here? Okay, so, in a writing by the Imam Ibn Qatir, he asserts that the Prophet Muhammad has claimed, quote, Every day, Gog and Magog are trying to dig a way out through the barrier that is the Caucasus Mountains. When they begin to see sunlight through it, the one who is in charge of them says, quote, Go back. You can carry on digging tomorrow. And when they come back, the barrier is stronger than it was before. This will continue until their time comes, and Allah wishes to send them forth. <laughs> okay, well, the, the Khazars have broken through the barrier, have invaded Eastern Europe, and for a long, long time, they were confined to ghettos. So they could not mix with us. But then Napoleon came along and led them out of the ghettos. They bribed his armies to let them out of the ghettos. Again, there's the power of money. And Europe has been enslaved by them ever since. As shall be shown, the Muslims to the south of the Khazarian kingdom had good reason to attach such legends to their ferocious northern neighbors. However, no nation can long survive, no matter how strong by being exclusively belligerent, and the Khazars were not an exception to this. As a vital addition to their brutality, they were possessed of a native calculating wisdom in knowing which they got from both the Mongols and the Hittites, Edomites. as the Gambler's Creed says, when to hold them and when to fold them. This prescient political sense became evident in their diplomatic encounters with the Romans. The Roman Emperor Heraclius in 627, formed a military alliance with the Khazars for the purpose of a final defeat of the Persians. Upon the first meeting of the Khazar king, zibel with the Roman emperor, the Khazars displayed in full array their skills at diplomatic flattery, skills that would serve them well and would not disappear with their kingdom. And the Jewish bankers used those skills very well as well. So, he, with his nobles, dismounted from their horses, says Gibbon, and fell prostrate on the ground to adore the purple of the Caesar. So enamored was the Byzantine emperor with this display of obeisance that eventually led to the offer, along with many riches, of the Caesar's daughter Eudocia, in marriage. Oh, my God. We've run out of time. We'll pick this up next week. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. Get smart, ladies and gentlemen, all you white people. Get smart, all you Christians. Understand what we've been telling you is the truth. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. See you all next time. Bye-bye.